From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in bright, sunny Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are video game immersion and first impressions, you know, main menus and stuff like that. And so, if everyone's ready, what do, what do you say, guys? All together now. Let's well, start. <laughs> <laughs> That was a pretty lame one. Yeah. <laughs> so only two topics today. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> Martha's bashful over there. Well, there's a couple reasons for this. We're sort of toying with the length of our episodes and how many topics we want to like really focus on. Uh, and also we don't really just want to like blaze through every idea ever so quickly. Um, but also Martha. I uh, <laughs> may not have come up with this topic this week. <laughs> That'll, hey. be, that'll, be, <laughs> that'll be a mystery for <laughs> listeners to solve. You probably hear it in my voice. I still sound terrible. Um, now, I, have, I am still sick. <laughs> it's been like five weeks now. So maybe, the, maybe like the coroner will have to get these podcasts to document the progress. <laughs> just no. to see. But um, truth, mean, the reason I sound so bad yeah. now is actually because of last weekend on our calendar was 2DCon. Right. And it was very loud in the exhibit yes, hall. Very loud. And I was yelling the entire time. A whole so. lot of people. But it yeah. was fun. It was a good time. It was, it was I, you know what? I, I felt miserable. So it was a total chore, but it was quite enjoyable otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I really wish I felt better yeah. because it was a great event. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the people there were fun. There were over 2,000 people there. <gasps> wow. I think so. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was That's very exciting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to Devonari for winning. Game of the show and a whole bunch of other awards. <laughs> they won a lot of awards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's also awesome. congratulations to Pinbrawl for uh, tying in best gameplay and best art, I think. Or mm-hmm. Verdant Skies is best art. Yeah. Verdant Skies got best art. Yeah. Verdant Skies got best art and Pinbrawl got an additional award that I can't remember. But congratulations <laughs> to all three of you <laughs> for all of that. <laughs> it was well fought. Yeah. It was well fought. <laughs> so I'm trying to, when is the next local? time i have to yell all day uh right now oh boy i'm like just preparing myself like i I hope i'm better by then oh yeah i mean uh play test is coming up in a couple weeks i don't need to do a lot of yelling there that's true i hope so (laughs) um yeah so in other martha news martha you're gonna go see the eclipse i know i'm so excited tell me about this uh well my old roommate her mom lives in Carbondale, Illinois. So we're all going to go down and camp on her mom's front yard. Okay. And it's going to be great. And that's like roughly in the path of the thing? Yes. Cool. It's uh, a very popular place to be. They had a warning out that we should probably have a full tank of gas from somewhere else (laughs) when we arrive there. Oh, interesting. Because their one little gas station is going to not have enough for everybody. So, Mm. yeah, it's, I'm, not looking forward to the traffic that's going to be happening. Right, right. Especially on the way back. It's going to be like those scenes in disaster movies where everybody is like, yeah. <laughs> trying to get out of the cities. <laughs> Did you get your special glasses? Yes, yes. Cool. So, and uh, the fish, like the ones that will work and not the fake mm-hmm. ones. So, yeah. And I think my dad might be showing up too on his way back from Gen Con. So, okay. oh yeah, Gen Con's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, based on our, what is it? Today is the 16th of August and Gen Con just started today. Is that what it was? Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and by the time you hear this listener, uh, the clips will have long happened and you probably have already read a couple articles about what was interesting about it. I kind of can't wait because like, it's kind of, a, I mean, I'm not one for going to see the thing happen, but I really want to know all the things people learn about it. I want to read mm. about, I am also interested in like the sociology of it, like people going to travel to see it like that. That's a fun human story to me. So it's a kind of a cool little bit of news in these dark times. <gasps> we could do a game jam on the way there oh. and it could be eclipse jam. It could, except Whoa. you're editing an episode Oh yeah, on the way true. there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. How are you enjoying that coleslaw? It's good. <laughs> so I, I just need to fill the top of the show with more Martha news because she didn't bring a topic um, as almost as punishment, I guess. But Martha likes coleslaw and we need to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. What's, what's wrong with you? I like cabbage. Oh, okay. That's a thing. I guess it, My cabbages. <laughs> that's the thing people eat, I guess. <laughs> I mean, coleslaw to me is, is like the, the extra bit of food they give you as a way to lie to you that this is a full meal. 
It's like we just pulled what? some garbage out of the back of the thing. Lies. Just to fill out the plate. Garbage and lies. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that's parsley. Oh, okay. Parsley is that. Coleslaw is like parsley plus. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I call that. I mean, like, I, it's funny you say cabbage is the reason you like it, because isn't coleslaw mostly just mayonnaise? Look, you can see the cabbage in it. Okay. <laughs> you, you look real hard. No, like literally. Yeah. All this. Re- <sighs> it's cool and mm. it goes really well with all the other food that you get at right, the restaurant right. where we get it. And <laughs> Cabbage is cool, Mark yeah. and Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it's really good for you. I'm just picturing like a cabbage with hands and feet. It's got shades on. Yeah. It's like. I'm cool, guys. <laughs> How do you do, Get on kids? that, uh, Coleslaw <laughs> Council. <laughs> okay, that's enough razzing for the top of the show, I imagine. Let's get into our first topic, which is Steven's topic. Yes, uh, we alluded to this in the last episode, mm-hmm. that I want to talk about video game immersion. Yeah, I think you were like inspired as soon as we, it came up. You're like, I got to do a whole topic on it. Yeah, yeah, because it's... Um, Something that's on my mind recently, because a lot of times people say that like this thing is really immersive and stuff, and I'm like, I, I don't agree with that. I find it to be unimmersive, hmm. such as VR. <laughs> wait, so wait, wait, let me give it this straight. Yeah. You don't think VR is immersive, yes. but you were the one who, when trying one of our friend's VR projects, was like, how did you get it so that you can feel the th- objects oh, yeah. in the game? <laughs> Wait, you guys can't feel the objects in the game? <laughs> what was that? What's that sensation called? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I tried a VR game once and like you were able to, he, he, uh, who was the person who had it? Andrew Flatterby. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's it. Um, but anyway, yeah, he had like these, these sensor things or something and it tracks your hands. Um, and so you're able to like, Pick objects up and stuff with it, but like I mean, you yeah, use leap, uh, use leap motion, so it had yeah. full finger tracking, so you can. It so was cool. pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, and he was, whipped it up super quick. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, it was it was really impressive as a as, as a demo. And then I like I picked up a vase or something or a statue or something I don't remember, and I was just lifting it, but I could feel it, not like feel it, feel it, like a literal statue, but like I felt like pinpricks or yeah. something. It's the psychosomatic. Psychosomatic is the that that sense that your brain is sort of inventing f- sensations for yourself because that's what you should be feeling. Ah, and so it's interesting because I think you are. I think you seem to be susceptible to those things, but you there's a distinction you're making between that and the sort of feeling of immersion. Yeah, like the sort of emotional feeling or yeah. the n- sort of a structure of narrative or place. I suppose. Yeah, right. Like when I when I'm playing a VR game, I don't feel like I am immersed in the thing. I feel like I'm. I don't know. It's I. I'm not. I, I'm not that person in the yeah. VR in the VR machine or whatever. It's like a separate Although, thing. And that's the other, what I prefer. The other exception is Sarah's music VR. That's experience. true. You love that. Oh man, yeah, that game is amazing. <laughs> I do love that game. Uh, our pal and uh, former guest on the show, Sarah Ferret, mm-hmm. uh, is working on a uh, a VR experience, which is really like atmospheric, environmental storytelling. Lots of music in it, which is really cool. And the music changes as you move through it. And she's iterating it very quickly and showing it to a lot of us as she goes. And Steven is just like, finally, I believe in VR. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was so cool to see. It's really the only game that I've ever felt that immersed in a uh, thing before. And mm. I don't really know why that's the case with that game. It's largely just exploration. Yeah. And well, maybe it's because like I'm not, there's no hands or anything mm-hmm. or feet. It's just like a floating entity. So I feel like I'm myself maybe because. I'm not supposed to be something else mm. at that moment. Right. It's just supposed to be me exploring the space. So there's a difference between putting yourself in a thing and uh, which is not something that VR has the, you know, the, the exclusive rights to, but, uh, and also um, something that's like role playing and role playing is maybe takes you out of it because you want to be you. Yeah. But when you play games, you mostly create characters who are not you. Yes. I, yeah. In general, when I'm playing a game and there's character creation or whatever, I create somebody It's generally a black woman. Uh, I create someone who is not me uh, mm-hmm. because I am me. I don't need to experience myself in this world. I can. I don't want to imagine that. Like I don't want to be a person fighting dragons. Probably wouldn't live <laughs> very long. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I create uh, my own character and I sort of like act as though I am the character, but not. But I know that I am not the character. 
it's like I, I guess it's like I'm trying to experience another person's story, and that feels much more immersive to me than mm-hmm. trying to experience my own story in this world. I mean, you know, there's the Batman VR game, yeah. which is very famously is like be the Batman, yeah. But and maybe that even qualifies. But VR really does ask you to to be the person in the experience, and because maybe that's not what you expect from games, it's like it's just bumping up against what you enjoy about about role playing. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Sometimes in VR games and experiences that I've done, when it's like beefy dude hands, then I'm totally not immersed because I'm like, you really, you, can you, can I pick my hands, please? Do I have to be <laughs> yeah. beefy dude? I don't want to yeah. be beefy dude. So maybe like if it doesn't match who you are, does that have something to do with it? Um, maybe a bit. I remember when we played uh, that Star Trek Bridge Crew game. Yep. Uh, I do what I always do when I made a black woman, but I looked down. I was like, "Oh, I'm wearing a skirt." <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just a very strange experience. Yeah, but um, I wouldn't call it immersive. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that that has something to do with it. I'm sure that's an issue with VR specifically. But like, I generally prefer third person to first person, as I talked to in that last episode, um, because I don't want to pretend like I am the person I want to experience what this other person is experiencing from my own perspective. Hmm. I think. So you want like a clear line between who you are and who the character is. Yes. Yep. I, yeah. I guess that's, that's what I'm looking for from that. I don't know. Do you, do you two feel differently? You know, I, I don't know exactly It's because we've now framed it in this sort of broader sense. Yeah. And so I'm trying to like map my thinking to the way we've defined it just now don't exactly know i i tend to enjoy video games as as media as story mm-hmm. that i it like you know when people say they read a book and they feel really immersed in that world i, I don't know maybe it's just not the language i use mm. but i don't really feel that exactly but that doesn't mean i d- can't imagine the space or, or or feel like it's real you know yeah. but i don't feel like i'm there and i don't want to i guess but i might just be this might just be about semantics at this point um, but for games, it's kind of similar. I like third person games for that reason, mm-hmm. but I don't think first person games can't give you that either. I think of like Bioshock, which is a game that starts out with you on an airplane smoking a cigarette. And what was really nice about that is it told me, okay, this is not you. This is a character, mm. right? You're not just, this is not just your eyes in this world. You are inside the head of some character. Yeah. I thought it was really a, a good job of doing that. And so, uh, which a third person perspective just gives you automatically. Uh-huh. So, um, so I, I I enjoy those kinds of things. I like when the character I like making decisions for a character, but I also don't mind when a cutscene comes and makes decisions for me. That's perfectly fine because I, I I think I've said that on the show before, but I'm really like the sort of I want to hear the voice of the author. I don't care as much about my voice as a player. Um, I don't know, Martha. I feel like I generally put myself in the character, mm-hmm. or like what I would like to be. So if I'm playing a game that has a defined character that I'm playing, like in Borderlands, I feel immersed in that game, even though I didn't make my character and I'm playing uh, predefined people who have, the characters have opinions and things that don't necessarily jive with me. But I always feel like I'm making decisions from my point of view. Have you ever tried making decisions from another person's point of view? Like, for example, in Mass Effect, I don't know if you always go Paragon or Renegade, but I normally play as a good guy, so I went uh, Paragon. Have you ever tried doing Renegade stuff? I haven't played that game. Ah, don't okay. tell Adia. Okay. <laughs> I won't. Uh, but I, can, I can address that question because I'm this, I always play Paragon. Yeah. And I, it's so funny because I want the story of Shepard to be the author's story, like, you know, like in most other games I play. Mm-hmm. But I still always, when given choices, make my, the choices I would make. Um, and I'm kind of insistent about that. So I don't know if that's contradictory or something, but I find it less like, I, I think maybe what it is, is when I, if I were to choose renegade options, yeah. then that's me telling more of the story than I want to. Hmm. Maybe. But with Paragon, just what I would do anyway. So it's not, I'm not, I'm not bringing, it's so funny. Oh. Like, I, I kind of feel, like, I feel like I'm arguing against creativity on behalf of players and maybe <laughs> I am, but I feel like I get much more out of the game if I take it at its own take it at its value and so so when given choices i will just be me because i don't want to be anybody else i guess Uh i don't know but i miss out on so much for that reason i think 
I feel that a lot. I miss out on quite a bit yeah. of like what a game wants to give me and what, what the author wants me to experience as well. So I like it's self-defeating in a way, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like in uh, open world games, particularly like Elder Scrolls games, like I said, I'm not going to try to be a person who killed dragons because it's just not going to can't do that. <laughs> I don't even think I can live one of those sorts. Isn't that the point of that game? Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, like, <laughs> your character is doing that, not you. Oh, I Steven see. Stephen McGregor is not running around trying, is not the Dova King. He's not trying to, you know, kill uh, dragons or. Why not? I, I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could try. Well, find me a dragon. And okay. I'll see what <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> but, like, and I get bored in that game really fast. So I'll play until like level fifteen, and then I'll stop and make a new character. Uh-huh. But like, I'll try to play as that person. As that person, and I've I've gotten better and better at like doing that. And I find the games to be much more enjoyable. So maybe I'll get to like level sixteen or seventeen when I do that. Yeah, um, I find it to be a lot more enjoyable because I'm like trying to be trying to understand this character more as a result, and I'm sort of like writing the character's story while I'm playing the game. So like maybe I'll reach a a point where you have to decide whether or not you like, maybe, I don't know. There are a whole bunch of different mods for Skyrim. There are some, some mods that make you that are force you to like, you have to eat food. And if you don't have any money and you can't buy food, you might have to go and steal someone else's food. And so I have to, I might have to sit there and say, well, would my character have this much honor and just not do it because, and Mm -hmm. rather starve to death. Or would my character go out and steal things because uh, they want to survive? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I have to make that decision for my character. But as a result, I feel like I understand my character better. Mm-hmm. And thus, I feel like I understand that character's story more, which feels good. Yeah. I mean, that's immersion. That's exactly yeah. basically all it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. But you, so you require some level of abstraction between you and the character. Yeah, I suppose. Too, too I don't want to be the person making that decision because then I would just be the person make. I would just make that decision, and like I already know what I would do most of the time. You know, I think maybe because you're so focused on mechanics. Because as you describe it, I'm like that does not sound like Steven. But it's like, oh, that sounds like Steven the player, yeah, but not <laughs> Steven's character. So when you make decisions for your character, mm-hmm. you're, trying, you're just trying not to min max. Or whatever <laughs> she would just naturally do. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Yeah, it's like the only way you can enjoy a story <laughs> is, is if I'm you, not trying to min max. Yeah, if you just refuse to let yourself be it, right? I mean, mm, I guess I never considered that. That is kind of true. Like yeah. if I, yeah, if I, I, well, I don't always do that. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I try to have as much fun as possible in a game, and so I'll, I'll, I'll make crazy builds or whatever to, um, to enjoy myself, but. I do some. I do try to avoid that as much as possible because I feel like it's like it doesn't feel like I'm playing the game that I want to play if I'm doing that. But sometimes I mm-hmm. feel like I'm forced to do that because yeah. like you might get to a point where you're like I can't kill this thing. Well, I better go grind and fight some mud crabs for another hour or two, and then I can get to level ten, and then I can fight <laughs> this guy. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to do that, so I try to I try to avoid that as much as possible okay. for that purpose. I like having such like control over the characters so that I can make my own decisions that I have stopped playing video games when they have forced me to like um, night in the woods. I yeah. got to a part uh, it's pretty early on. So this is very much of a spoiler, mm-hmm. but there's a part where there's no other option, but to make the cat drink too much. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, this is <laughs> my cat care. I can't, I would never do that. I'm making the right decision. <laughs> Why wouldn't I let me make the right decision? Right, right. And so I, I couldn't make her do it, so I just stopped playing. <laughs> Did you play Bioshock? No. Oh, okay. But I've watched some of it. Okay, because there's a famously at the end, control is taken from you in a, in a way that it's really illustrative of the story point. And I loved that, but you would probably just be like, nope, click. <laughs> Turn it off. This game is bad. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, you have to find a, a balance between uh, having giving the player enough control to get through the game or uh, taking the control away from the player at certain points in order to impact uh, a person emotionally. Yeah. Mm. And, th- and those two things need to make sense with each other. Right. Because I think some games, like maybe the example you're talking about, Martha, is it really does ask you to to make choices for this character. And then when you can't anymore, it not only does it not mechanically what you want, 
it also doesn't make sense to you, right? So like it feels like it's uh, it's hammered in. Whereas in Bioshock, when it takes the control away from you, it is very pointedly is about that. It's about taking the control from you, and it's meant to upend expectations. So um, I don't know. It, it makes sense because that's what this character is going through, yeah. and and it's making a point like you can't just stop someone from doing that, like the bad things that they're or like you know the things that aren't very good for them just because you see that they're bad but they can't necessarily in that moment mm-hmm. right and right. like that's, that's the only course of action that the character sees to do so i think it was like i didn't feel like the mechanics didn't match the game i was just ah. angry ah, okay. because okay. i was like i know not to make that decision <laughs> i know that it's bad right right because she's gonna then say bad like unth- things that she doesn't mean to this person and mm-hmm. oh my god and i won't be able to stop her no <laughs> <laughs> you know interestingly one game that did that 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 abstraction between the player and the character pretty well is the one we played uh, the other week one shot oh yeah where nico is a character you start out feeling like it's just you and then it very slowly and naturally makes you come to realize that this character has a, a mind of its own and you have some direct control over it and that is contradictory and not like um, I might be like just lavishing too much like literary praise on it, but it feels so like perfectly calibrated mm. in a way that must have taken a lot of iteration or just like happened to just work. You know, um, that was my impression when we played it anyway. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That It did do that really well. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of those things about immersion are um, similar to the sort of uncanny valley. Right. So a, a lot of like. I mean, like Atari Adventure, you know, um, you know, has the fewest amount of pixels that were available, but you filled in the blanks yeah. right, with your mind. And so it, it could be, well, I think this is probably why a lot of uh, when people talk about books that, that feel really real to them, it's because they've invented the rest. And so I think um, maybe that's part of why VR has a harder time with you because it's, it, it's sort of this sort of perceptual uncanny valley. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like... I mean, to be fair, I haven't tried a whole lot of VR games. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, Star Trek VR. I remember like you really, Mark, you really wanted me to play Star Trek uh, Bridge Crew because you felt that it was very immersive when you were playing it, right? Yeah, it, it, it's funny because as an interactive experience, it's fairly, it's fairly limited. Mm. You, it's a seated experience. You have motion control um, or uh, you have hand, hand tracking. So it's, it, you know, it's high-end VR, but all you're doing is just tapping on a console. There's like no other activity you can do in the game. Yeah. I mean, you can do finger guns at your friends and that's fun. Um, not if you're playing on a PlayStation. <laughs> not if you're playing on PlayStation, <laughs> that's right. But, um, but be- because of just that sense of presence that you're in the room with three other people yeah. and you can see their motions live um, that, and, and, and you call out actions for another person to do and they do it and said, I just did that. Like, it seems so... It seems so non-video gamey. It really just feels like you're at a like a you know like a amusement park ride or something where it's all physical and uh, very little of the game uh, is is not real. I suppose. Yeah, actually, that is very accurate. When I was playing Star Trek Bridge Crew, I just felt like I was myself tapping these buttons on this thing to get something to happen. Yeah, which I mean, it didn't feel immersive because I didn't feel like I was part of Star Trek. I just felt like uh, Nick was telling me. Do this. And I was like, okay, where's the button? Oh, here it is. <laughs> Press button. Right. I right. did it. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, there, there's, the, there's the, the trick in it is that that's what being in Starfleet is. <laughs> Suppose. So, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> is going to work and pressing buttons. <laughs> so. I guess if I wanted to do that, I would just wake up in the morning and do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I didn't find that game very immersive, but you did, Mark, mm-hmm. which. Uh, I mean, it must be a perspective thing too. I, I, I'm sure that yeah. to some and also, people, it, maybe this is the different values because I'm putting a lot of value on the sense of presence. And even though I'm a, the you know the, the Star Trek fan here, hmm. like I'm it, as far as the Star Trek games go, it's fine. Just Klingons and explosions, whatever. <laughs> like it's whatever. But that that's not the part that is exciting. It was more the 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 mechanics of the VR environment that that that's what felt immersive to me. So. Maybe if the sort of the, the fiction, the story structure of it didn't hit, hit for you, then it's just everything else is just doesn't matter. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Because I don't think I disagree with you necessarily. Yeah. But it's not, I mean, it, because you are just sitting in a chair looking around and mostly at the panel, right? You're, you've already, you've almost never even look out the window because uh-huh. you need to be concentrated on your task. Right. 
So, um, so I guess I don't necessarily disagree with you about what you didn't find immersive about it. I guess I just don't mind as much about that part. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we're not going to come to any conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all well, I mean, what, stuff. what do you do in Finjins to make it feel immersive or don't you care? I do not care. <laughs> That's not, I guess the, the immersion part is you working together as a team. And so I'm really looking for flow from that game and not so much immersion. Sure. Mm. Uh, sure. Which I mean, in a way they're so very similar. It's, it's a, I guess it's just a different, it's a different feeling. Yeah. From immersion. Like when, when you're in immersion, you feel immersed in the world. Whereas in a, in a flow state, it's like a Zen state. Yeah, you know, like you're kind of just going through the motions, but it, at the point where it feels good, it's like concentration. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I feel similarly with Metro Nexus that mm-hmm. I, I want it to be a game that is mechanically sound and has that flow. Right, and then the story happens in between. I think mm-hmm. this, I want there to be a lot to get, but I don't want I don't I don't really care. And I'm not making a ton of effort, like when you're playing a match, um, for that to be. For you to feel real, you know, I, I refer you to feel like you're playing an arcade game. Yeah. That's the feeling I want the player yep, to yep, have. Exactly. So, yeah, it's like just different goals, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of games. I mean, we didn't mention a lot of like Super Mario. No one's trying to be immersed in a Mario game, at least not in a I don't know about that. Mario game. Uh, well, Mario Galaxy, is, yeah. I, I think, is really gives you a sense of place mm. in a way that is unique to the Mario series. Oh, huh, okay. I guess I didn't experience that when you I know? played it. I did. I mean, I, I experienced more of a flow state than that yeah. sort of thing because jumping around is so fun. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. For flow, um, Dylan just got Sonic. Uh, Mania? Sonic Mania. Oh, Ooh. man. Oh, my God. Excited about that. Watching that, him play that is just like mesmerizing because Sonic's <laughs> just going, going so fast around loops and stuff. Yeah. 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 You know what? Sonic games, eh, I'm going to say something controversial, but Sonic games aren't that good. <laughs> I said it uh, but they're really good at a flow state thing because like once you because effectively when you like play it a whole bunch because mm-hmm. I think that the games are really meant to like be played a whole bunch yeah when you play it a whole bunch you eventually get to the point where you're just you know going through the motions and trying to get the best time or get to uh, the special stage or whatever it is and then you get to a flow state because Sonic he, he works based off of momentum or his running is based off of momentum so you want to constantly keep that momentum going yeah and if you um, lose it it's like a 30 second slog right, yeah. before you feel in control again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of terrible. I know right. what you mean. I, I had a Genesis in that era. So I, by that, I, I, was at, I loved Mario, mm-hmm. but by that point, I was into Sonic, right? Mm. I never had a Super Nintendo. But even then, I was sort of like, this isn't, it doesn't have the same like, sense of consistent uh, experience. Yeah. Sonic is like, Sonic punishes you for not living up to it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I think the first game in particular is really bad at that because yeah. it has it has part it's it's like Sonic wants you to be like this running super fast racer dude and then also uh you need to stop and jump past the lava pit a couple of times. Yeah. Get that. I guess the problem I have with that is uh, I, the game doesn't necessarily communicate what I should be doing right now because when I stop when I'm stopped by something, I don't know if it's because I screwed up or because the game expects me to stop. Yeah, there, that's true. Or if I like and then there's a bunch of things around that I can do and I'm like should I just start running right as fast as possible or should I explore? I, like, the game never tells you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it's up to your discretion. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's always more fun to be running really fast. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what you always want to do. Yeah. But yeah. That reminds me of one of the things you have listed in the notes about UI and whether that has anything to do with uh, feeling immersed or not. Yeah, right. In Skyrim, I turn off all my UI stuff until like I take damage or something, then I can, but I fade it out so I can barely see it. Because I don't want to see all that crap on my (laughs) my screen. You do the same in Zelda. I do the same. I do. That's the exact same Mm -hmm. thing. I pray pro mode because you don't (laughs) need to see all that stuff. Uh, See, I I totally disagree with that. hmm. You feel more immersed with more UI? Well, I don't feel any less. Okay. I guess it's because it's it's already a video game. Like, I'm not going to be fooled. I mean, you're not either. I'm not accusing you of being, like, (laughs) fooling yourself into really believing. But I feel like I... Maybe it's because I value abstractions, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when I see how many hearts uh, Link has, I, I, I internalize that as Link knows how he's doing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's just the way the game communicates. That's the language it communicates that to me. And so UI, I think, has a huge role to play in filling that gap between like perception and understanding. And so I, I've always very, but many people are like, turn the HUD off for a better experience. I, I cannot understand that. 
like even at the very even at the most basic level i do not understand mm, okay like uh we talked about it on the show before but mm-hmm. like zelda does a really good job of uh displaying what states that link is in at every any given time yeah uh, like if you walk into a really cold place, Link starts shivering, and there's a blast of cold air on your screen. And right, stuff. right. Uh, it has I, diagetic feedback. Right. Yeah. If you keep the, if you have all the UI stuff, there's also a little temperature bar. But because there's so many things already telling me all of these things, I feel like that little temperature bar is unnecessary and kind of just cluttering. I think that's a good example where you're just totally right. Uh-huh. That. There's a little, little bit of extra. It might might have been the result of some uh, playtesting where players weren't understanding or right. something. Yeah, um, but you don't have many options. It's on, all on or all off. Mm-hmm. So that's true, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But yeah, I mean, health I can understand. I, I agree with you in that. Like, mm-hmm. if Link is taking a certain amount of damage, he's like, "Oh man, my arm really hurts. I'm out of heart." <laughs> it's like the thing he imagines in his head for like, yeah, I totally have hearts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but also, the, yeah. I mean, the game is pretty actually Zelda more than most games held on to its sort of eight bit language all the way through. So. You go to the 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 fairy statue and you get literally a heart container. Yeah, yeah. Like the game, you know. Da, you, da, da, da. you talk to a kid and they say, "Oh, press the X button for this." Like, I love that. I think that's great. I think that it's it, but I don't feel that it's all breaking immersion in any way. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, I just I guess I just don't agree with you on that. Well, I I don't know, like heart containers. Yeah. that makes sense because in the world of Zelda, there are heart containers and they give you more hearts. Yep. Which is effectively <laughs> endurance or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's just an abstraction. And yeah. I'm just. Right, because in the world of Zelda, hearts are not explained any further than they are explained to the player. Right. You know what I mean? There's no, they don't make any fictional accounting for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you fill up your stamina meter, you're told your stamina meter is full. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> it doesn't, it makes no excuses. And I think that's great about it. Mm. I mean, I also think it's great if you're able to find fictional constructs uh, that that explain all of that. I actually put a lot of value in that as well. But if you can't if you can't go all the way over for it, just go ahead and just like make the game terms part of the world and make no make no um, apologies for it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense in a lot of ways. Uh, this is uh, a mod that I use now, like exclusively whenever I play Skyrim. It's called Skyrim. Requiem, mm-hmm. it's the role playing overhaul mod. It's great because it makes you die super fast. I think I talked about this on the show. But like, it makes you die. I love when games do that to me. Right? You die super fast, but like all the enemies die really fast too. So you have to, you're constantly, whenever you like to approach someone, it, it, it improves on the enemy AI too a lot. It's like, like everybody has a golden gun. Is that what this is? Sort of. Okay. Like you have a giant two hander. So you would mm-hmm. think if you hit somebody with that, they're probably going to be almost dead, if mm-hmm. not dead. Yeah. And so. It just makes it more realistic, and so you're supposed to. It it changes a lot of the game to make it more of an or make it more of a role playing experience. Uh, and they change. They actually in in uh, change um, the. You know how in Skyrim there are little text bubbles at the top left of the screen. It says, uh, "Oh, you can level up right now," or whatever, or press the start button to do this, or blah blah blah. They change all of that, so it says, "Oh man, I should reflect on my experience." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I'm really hungry or whatever. They change all of that so that it's more of that kind of a thing. And so they like removing that sense of that that sense of abstraction that's uh, present in a game like uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. That's cool. Yeah, I really like them a lot. Hmm. It's very fun. Wizard needs food badly. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate in immersion. Yeah, gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about that because I was thinking about um, like old games, like you know, like the adventure I was citing earlier, mm-hmm. and Gauntlet came to mind because mm. that was one of those games where I really felt like I was in a dungeon. But mechanically, it's so bonkers and silly; none of it can be explained away at all. Yeah. But I wonder if that's just my nostalgia talking. Like, it. What do you do? You guys feel that that's an example where it's it does a good job or a bad job? Because I honestly don't know. Of Gauntlet. Of like I mean, feeling like you're really there, like having that sense of immersion. Like Wizard needs food badly. That's a that's a mechanic that's meant to n- inc- not just explain to the player the status, but to uh, it ratchet the tension mm-hmm. and, and make it and give it more of a presence. Yeah. At least I think. Um, I don't know if it does a great job. I just because I feel like I'm I'm blinded by my nostalgia for that game. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. Um, Is that the one we played on the yeah. Raspberry Pi emulator? Uh-huh. That isn't a game I felt very immersed in. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's a really old game, so it's that's true. But I, I think that like back in the day, if that was the only game you had, 
a lot of those games felt very immersive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Lemmings felt immersive to me, mostly mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was so sad when my Lemmings died. Aww. You had and an I emotional had, stake yeah, in it, yeah. Yeah, and and like there are games that in my head look way better than they do now. Like if you went back and looked oh, yeah. they're yeah. like, what? This looks like polygons on a <laughs> plane. Um, yeah, so I guess the art doesn't necessarily have to be realistic for you to like feel immersed in something. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Yeah, that, that, uh, I mean, like Zelda, it feels really, it feels pretty immersive when I'm playing through that. And I mean, the art isn't realistic. It's kind of cell shady ish or something. Right. And you um, can only let you hold five apples. Right. That's not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I hold all these apples? <laughs> yeah, for real. But it only, here's the thing you can't drop one apple at a time. That's true. That's, <laughs> he just, he, he can't figure it out. What's he going to do? That was driving me last night. There's a series of, of, puzzles where you know like korok puzzles where you have to drop apples on the place oh yeah and i was like can't i just hold five and drop them one at a time like <laughs> nope <laughs> go through the, the manual miss it rolls off the head how many like, shrines yeah. oh you my have? god how many shrines mm-hmm. 116 okay <laughs> oh you're st- i'm still, still at 117 i haven't played in a long time <laughs> see i've been playing a little bit in the last couple weeks yeah um because i want to get 118 <laughs> <laughs> Then I'll set it down until you surpass it. Okay. <laughs> I just want to be able to walk into Glitch one day and say, hey, Steven, how many shrines do you still have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't. I'm having it. the hardest time. Last night I was playing. Yeah. And I got one shrine mm-hmm. and 67 Korok seeds <laughs> in one sitting. Yeah. That's how, that's yeah. how, that's, that's how much <laughs> aimless wandering I was doing. It's so hard to find those last ones. Yeah. And the map doesn't, that fancy new map they have, I feel like, I, I guess I haven't tried it that it's much. Ha- it has helped me. It has helped It you? got me from 110 to 117. Okay. Because I just, I just marked out places I hadn't been yet, mm-hmm. you know, and had been, and far enough from my path that my, my sensor wouldn't go off. Although now all I have left is Shrine Quests. Yeah. So I don't know how to find those. Right. I'm out of Shrine Quests. Really? But I have three left. So huh. I probably just haven't found the Shrine, shrine Quest. So we, we have totally different problems. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I don't even know if I have, if I've done all the shrine quests or not, because I don't, I don't have any more. Well, um, well, I don't have any on my list either, mm-hmm. but there is, if when you beat the game yeah. and you've beaten the game, I have. Um, in the menu, it actually says how many shrine quests you've completed something out of something. Mm, right. It does. And even if you have, even if you don't have any uh, left on your list, it still shows the total in the oh, game. I guess I should look into that. Yeah. You should find out. Yeah. You might, that might be your case. You might just, might be three shrine quests. I think there's 42 or 45, something like that. It's something like that. I remember that number. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you guys are definitely immersed in that game when you're not even playing it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I should say we because I'm also obsessed with that game. So. <laughs> How deep into it are you now? Um, I've got, I think I'm going after my first Divine Beast now. Okay. Ooh. Which one are you going after? The one that Dylan says gives me the best power. <laughs> so the one in the Rito Lynch? I don't know. That's my favorite. That one. I'm heading towards it. I haven't gotten to okay. it yet. Oh, okay. Because then when we were starting to play, it was we our first ones were different. I think. Yes. And it and but they vote both felt natural. Like if it's everyone's first one. That's the one thing the game does really well. Uh-huh. Unless you have Dylan telling you where to go, <laughs> uh, you kind of just go to the first one you go to, and it feels like the most natural thing. Yeah. But you find out that it's different. You know, of the four that are available, it, you know. Everyone goes, to, not everyone, but a lot of people go to different ones. Mm-hmm. True. See, that is successful immersion, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you feel like you're being walked through a linear path, but it's actually, you know, you're directing it. Yeah. That game does a good job of that. For sure. <laughs> we should be so lucky, right? <laughs> right. One day we'll do it. Yeah. One day we'll make something like that. Well, Martha, you're point and click. It's going to be, that's what that's all about. Yeah, totally. Right? What, I mean, what are the challenges that you're thinking about? For immersion? Yeah. In it? Huh. I haven't thought about that at all. You guys bring up such good questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I want to make it for my cousins so that they would feel like it's them in the game. Mm-hmm. But I haven't thought about other people playing it. Yeah. You know, you might not have to think about other people playing it. You might, you know what I mean? Like as you design it, you, you role play the prototypical player, which you actually have an exact example. Yeah. <laughs> who your, your ideal player is and that might be all you need to keep top of mind as you move forward that's true yeah 
Okay. Well, I guess we'll move on to the next topic then. The last topic of the next. We'll have to see what our first impression of it is. Yeah, that's ah. the we we ordered these wrong because the <laughs> <laughs> this experiment has failed. <laughs> Uh, this topic is mine. First impressions, which is my funny way of saying like main menus, like what happens when you load a game, mm. like time to play, stuff like that. I've been oh. thinking about that recently because while we were at 2D Con, yeah. one of the things I implemented over the weekend uh, between days uh, just to make life for myself a little easier was an attract mode. Uh-huh. So I think, I don't know if that's a totally common phrase because it's mostly an arcade thing. But um, attract mode is basically just like when you're at the main menu and after 30 seconds, it goes to like a video or a, a, a random playthrough or something. Um, so you kind of it can attract you to the con- to the arcade machine to play. Um, and uh, I needed this in my game because when players would come and play my game, they would play, you know, 15 or 20 matches and then they would get to the result screen of the final match. They would leave and they'd leave it at the result screen for that last round. New players would come up and they would go, well, what do I do here? And they'd, they'd press start. It would say like, you know, start, restart match or something and uh-huh. press that. And it would be all the settings from the previous group. And so every time people left uh, my demo booth, I would have to go around, go back to the main menu, go back to the character select screen, deselect all the characters so that, you know, everything was fine and, and like put all the controllers. Like I just restaged it every time. I did it so many times yeah. uh, on Friday and Saturday that uh, I was, I was just thinking, I gotta find a better way. And I've been thinking about this for a while. So I just implemented a pretty simple thing where I just played the, my gameplay trailer after X number of seconds of no button inputs. And that's not a great solution for a shipping game, frankly, but it got me thinking about um, uh, when a player, how they approach it. So it got me thinking about when players do start from like the main, main menu, they have to choose game and then they have to choose the game mode. And then they have the, 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 um, the character select at that point. Is that one too many menus? You know, like, so it's just been on my mind a little bit. Mm. I was talking to Charles um, about uh, uh, in Vengeance, you guys have press A to start. Yes. Um, at the very beginning. And yep. then it goes to your main menu. It does. Which to me, I'm like, that's just an extra step. That's silly. And he was describing to me that the reason, maybe not necessarily the reason you guys do it, but the reason it's a common practice is for console certification. Because a game can load faster if it can go to that screen and continue loading in the background. Mm. And then when someone presses it, then it can finish whatever loading it hasn't done. But it's a little bit of a way to get a, so the player doesn't have to stare at a loading screen this whole time. Yeah, um, right, beforehand. Yeah, and there's a couple of little quality of life reasons why that's the case. That's one of them. Um, Charles was telling me about another one. And it's, uh, I don't know, I mean, if it's if it's up to me, I still think those are kind of silly. But a lot of times they're required if, if on certain platform holders. Uh-huh. And so all of that stuff is really interesting because some of it's historical. Um, players expect things like that. Um, then there's other times where games will buck those conventions and it will be really interesting, but players won't, they won't expect it. So it'll be weird. One of the examples that I, I would think of, and I think this has probably changed a lot, but when Grand Theft Auto five first came out, um, before online was its main, you know, component, uh, you loaded up the game and it just loaded right into the game. There was, there's no main menu in that game, at least originally. And there was a pause menu you can get to settings and stuff like that. But, and then when you would, you'd, you'd quit and you'd come back. And I guess because they know their player, mm. it's not, it's not a game that's going to have a lot of family, uh, save slots. So they just load right into it. And so I just want to get you guys' thoughts on how you, what's, what makes sense for you. Infamous does that. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Infamous, Second Son, and maybe all the other infamous games too. I think they load straight up into the game. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I think with a game like Grand Theft Auto, um, that sort of makes sense. You know, I might be thinking of Grand Theft Auto 4. I don't know. It's been a while. Since I, I swore off those games a while ago, so I'm forgetting. But, I seem to remember that if you don't do something the right way when you start the game, yeah. you end up playing single player. Because I remember I never play single. Like, I literally am at the beginning of single player. <laughs> so every time I load, I end up that. Um, ah. And so that's really annoying to me because I only play the multiplayer thing. Right. And so that's like... A bazillion hours of loading for nothing. <laughs> right, because uh, it has to load the, like that chunk of the city or whatever, yeah. however, does it? Yeah. And that mission and all of that stuff. Well, what do you prefer as a player? Do you prefer menus that are more like uh, in the world? Like Mass Effect has a, like a lot of, you haven't played that, but in Mass Effect, <laughs> you, you open it and it's like, there's a ton of stuff. It's not going to take forever to get into a game or anything, but if it, the menus are part of the world, sort of. Um, and then there are other games like Grand Theft Auto, which just like dump you into the world. And then there's all the in between, right? Like, do you want to be able to check, uh, select Y invert or not before you start a game? Do you want to, on a PC game, do you want to run through all your settings before you start? 
Yes. Like stuff like that. Like, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, what is your preference as a player, regardless I, of how the game is structured? I prefer to have menus straight up. Yeah. Um, also because usually I do have to adjust settings or whatever, uh, or change characters or just what's the game where you're in the menu and then you, it's like a hybrid of the two. You're in the menu, but the menu must start. The character just stands up from the menu and starts walking. <laughs> um, just cause. I think. Yeah. Just oh, yeah. cause. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. It, That's that is so cool. Yeah, He's yeah. just like, the character's just standing there leaning against the car. And then you're like, start, and he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess I have to go do things. Yeah. <sighs> well, sitting here on the beach. No, it's fine, though. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the whims of you, player. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess when um, this topic was first brought to my attention, I thought that you were talking about, like, first impressions as though, like, tutorials or first levels. Mm. Ah, so it's a whole different type of thing. It is. You did all sorts of thinking about this. That right. it's going to waste right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll approach or we'll come you know, back to it in another We'll topic. do tutorials soon. Oh my goodness. That's yeah, a we good should. topic. I have something to bring up on like vengeance. That was the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. We'll save it. Yes. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a player, what do you what do you want? What do you expect? What bothers you that you don't when it doesn't mm, work right for you? Um, I dislike it when the game doesn't work when I first start. <laughs> That's why I don't like PC games as much <laughs> because I don't have a fancy computer. Uh, so I I do play some PC games, but they're not. Most of them aren't very intensive. Like Skyrim, isn't that intensive? Mm-hmm. Uh, even with some of the mods that I have on there. But um, yeah, I I don't like it when the game doesn't work when you first start, or the sounds messed up, or it's a whole hassle to get it to work. I do now that I've been playing more computer games. I instinctively go into the options and see, oh, what are the settings I can do? Even if I'm on a console game, yeah, because. Uh, PC has tainted my mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Join us. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, hmm, I guess in general, as long as I can figure out how the heck to get into the game, yeah, not a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that like Super Smash Brothers for Wii U and uh, for 3DS has a horrible menu system yeah. because like all of the places you'd want to go to, there's Smash, which is kind of makes sense because. Most of the time when you're going to do this, you're trying to play Smash. Mm-hmm. But like if you want to play any single player thing, they're solo. But like it also includes stuff like training and it also includes things like uh the the uh the uh, what's it, the classic mode and all the other kinds of stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't to me it doesn't make a lot of sense for those things to be lumped together. Especially when like those solo games you can also like play cooperatively. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know. There's a whole <laughs> bunch of that stuff. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um but as long as I can get to the main experience while I'm playing the game right away, then I think I'm all right. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, like a, I like Ikea manuals and stuff. Like, yeah. I'm a read the manual person. And so yeah, me too. I, I will go through every option. Like even if it's just the sim, like even if they try to make it really streamlined, I'm like, slow your roll game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to poke around a bit before I get started. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unusual. Um, and as a designer, I want to make sure that like I, I kind of want to cater to that feeling that I have, but I also not at the cost of like good UX, right? Yeah. On that sort of thing. And so um, I've definitely gone back and forth in my game about like how many options to put, not on the main menu, because I just have like like game options information, right? That's pretty similar in quiz. But in, inside game, my game is a couple modes and I've been trying to feel like, uh, there's two main multiplayer modes, and uh, when I've shown it, when I've done demos, sometimes there's only one, and sometimes I'm I'm testing both, and so I've changed how that menu flow works. But um, I'm still trying to decide: like, should you choose multiplayer and then the mode, or do you choose from a menu that includes a couple of multiplayer modes and a single player mode, like just little things like that, mm-hmm. like trying to because when I when I demo it, people are just like button 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 until something right. happens, yeah, and I'm like. I know you're just, I know you don't care about this game right now. You're just trying it out. But like, I don't understand that attitude, <laughs> but everybody yeah. has it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Demoing games is really like the, the decisions you make for first impressions there, I feel like are so different yeah. than you I would. I think it's really for... impacting my thinking in a bad way. And I'm really worried about that. You know, that's interesting. Um, now that I think about it, uh, we have, Four difficulties in the game. I mm. would prefer that we have three. Yeah. Just be easy, medium, and hard. But we've now like added extreme as a difficulty. 
And I don't like that because <laughs> we haven't really, been, well, it's a lot more balanced than it used to be. So we have balanced it a little bit for extreme. Yeah. But we didn't initially do that, but we, uh, um, I think it was both Charles and Lane had insisted that we had this difficulty in. And I was like, no, because people will see it and go, oh, man, I want a challenge. And then they'll play yeah. and like, oh, it's too hard. It'll stop after five minutes. Whereas if they went in a hard mode, they might have gotten a couple of levels in before deciding whether or not they want to continue playing it. Right. And so I, I find that to be a bad experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we've what we've done in the past is we had an option because nobody clicks options. When you're just demoing things, thankfully, <laughs> uh, we have an option in there where you can have all the difficulties and in, including that uh, extreme difficulty. Uh, and yeah. So if if like somebody who's played the game a bunch is like, man, easy or hard is difficult, but is there something worse or harder? Mm-hmm. Um, then you could be like, yeah, there is. And then check out the <laughs> secret hard mode. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and that's kind of what unlockables are supposed to do for you. Is like they're supposed to they're supposed to allow you to. Um, control the pacing uh, uh of how people uh experience your content yeah yeah that's i mean in, in super smash brothers like it's more difficult to unlock characters than it should be frankly but the harder to use characters are often locked behind that because one it's a surprise and it's kind of cool but also like they might be they're more difficult and so if a person were to try playing as duck hunt for the first time, mm-hmm. they'd be like, why do I have a dog? Why does he have a duck on his back? And why is he throwing cans out? I don't understand. And then they, yeah, and they have a difficult time. Yeah. I mean, uh, you've added a bunch of characters to Fingence, And instead of me criticizing you about that, which is normally my thing. <laughs> yes. Um, you, you know, so, some of those characters require a lot of like working knowledge of Fingence to be able to, to give good impressions. Um, and you have not as yet... Uh, sometimes you remove them from builds when you go to do demos. For, for, uh, that's for testing purposes. Right, generally. right. But uh, what's the plan in the in the the shipping release? How do you plan to dole that information out? Right. So the four characters you see in the intro screen would be the four main characters. As soon as we update that art, it'll be good to go. Yeah. Uh, um, but those are the base characters, and it's kind of funny because Bubbles is somewhat a difficult character to play because she's pure short range, so she yeah. has to get much closer to enemies than any other character in the game. Right. It makes her kind of difficult to use. But, but not difficult to understand. Right. Not difficult to understand. And so um, we are leaving her in as one of the base characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and steadily over time, as you like beat certain difficult levels or you do certain things, you'll unlock more and more characters and more and more difficulties. Yeah. So Sparky, for example, Martha. Sparky! <laughs> Martha's favorite character um, would be unlocked through our time attack mode. You have to get it under a certain time or something. Yeah. At least that's our that's our plan. Right, right, right. Have to go fast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I mean, I guess we could spin off a little bit into talking about unlockables because mm-hmm. it's a natural sort of extension of this kind of thing. Like not just getting someone to play a game and, or to, you know, to try it out and to not leave it right away, but yeah. also to keep them coming back and to dole out ex- the, those things. Um, your brother was talking about anti-piracy. Right. Um, and he has all these different game modifiers, but um, they're all fairly, it, having them all is a little overwhelming. Yeah, so he's he was brainstorming on different ways to unlock that, and we, we had a lengthy conversation after two D con about like you know ways to get that right so that you're not you're right. not you're not withholding them from players who would want them, but also not dumping them on players who can't don't understand them. Yeah, yeah. And the the way that he was describing it was that players would have five levels, and if they beat a le- one of the levels, the next level would open up, mm-hmm. so they could just skip between ones if they find it difficult. But I guess up to five. Right, yeah, um, yeah. Level unlock is what you're mm-hmm. describing, which is a different, another unlocking setup. Right, which yeah, is interesting. Yeah. yeah, and that I mean that sets the pace for how your game's going to go. But mm-hmm. also, like, if people were just going to go into free play mode in anti piracy, um, I, I know that Charles really had a difficult time with people just picking random on all of the different what, what are they called the, the modifiers. Yeah, um, and then a whole bunch of craziness happened. They're like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the, that's our first experience with the game, so they like don't have an understanding of how the game works. Yeah. Uh, I know that when my brother is uh, demoing the game, uh, he will start people off with just base gameplay, free to play or, or free play. Yeah. Uh, and then introduce modifiers over time. He'll mm-hmm. be like, and he'll. Uh, right. And that's something he is guiding that experience. Yeah. I do the same thing in Metro Nexus. The game has items you can collect. And in an effort to streamline the controls of the game, um, the items you collect, all they do is change what your weapon does. So the controls never change. You never have to learn a new button. And that is like a core sort of like design principle of the game is that uh, thing, the circumstances might change depending on what you've got or what you you know have or what's in front of you. But you never, once you learn how the 
to control the, the controls, you should never have to learn anything new. Um, you can just get better at that. Mm. The problem is, is that when, no, when you don't know how to use it yet, the items give you all this, na- this random feedback about yeah. what buttons do, mm. especially with how fast paced my game is. And so uh, definitely in a, in a demo environment, I have to tell people like, please uh, just turn items off for your first time. And I, and some people are like, but they look cool. And I'm like, they are cool, but like, <laughs> Uh, you know, and some people will just insist, and I'm like, I'm not going to argue with you in front of my game because that's, well, that's bad. But that's interesting because by default, items are on. Why is that the case? No, no, there's just a there's just a, a local set. Oh, it's, oh, it's not default. Yeah, it's it's. Oh, it just sta- it just saves the state. Yeah, it just saves the state. Oh, yeah. okay. Is default off? Yeah. Oh, never turn mind on, then. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, but then and that, but I also have to decide like, what do what do I want to be? Because the the mode I'm talking about here is a, is a free play mode in my game. Yeah. So. Um, but in the campaign mode of my game or the single player mode of my game, how do I want to treat items? I still haven't really addressed that from a design question. So, I mean, now we're getting into, you know, first impressions of gameplay. <laughs> yeah. Sneaky is- you, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, <Yeah>. uh- <laughs> <laughs> it, it does all trace back to that stuff, right? right. Because, you know, uh, when I navigate menus, I look at every option and I, I, I at least check to see what the available options are. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, let me see what the options are, and then I can deduce what it means. Uh-huh. Or there'll be like helper text or you know stuff like that. And so I am like the type of player who will explore those options. I don't want them to make the wrong choices, but I also don't want to start locking buttons until they complete level three. Like, yeah. or, yeah. or at least, or do I? I don't know. It's a real tough challenge. Like, I would love to hear people who are developing games, listener of, of ours, to to. Tell us how they've addressed that. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of those things that I know while you're developing, especially if you're demoing it a lot, your thoughts on that just change all the time. Yep. Because you, you, know, you, you imagine what the player is going to be, not just the first time player, but the returning player. And, and then you, know, and you have to balance the, like, um, uh, understandability with like, the actual design goals of the game and mm-hmm. the, all, that, all that stuff. It's, it's really interesting. And very difficult yeah. to figure out <laughs> where to go. But there's lots of lots of different ways to solve the problem, and different games will need different ways to do it. Yeah. Well. Okay. Let's end on 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 games that have done it really well. Okay. Like, what are ones you've liked that make sense to you? Games that don't get in the way. Yeah. Just like, I mean, part of the difficulty I have with first impression things, and not uh, like just starting up a game, is that sometimes you just have to sit there and wait for a game to load. Yeah. Um, that happens all the time in Skyrim, especially with my laptop not yeah. being the greatest computer to be running it. And so, like, if it crashes, and it will crash, um, I have to sit there and wait for it to load up again if I want to play it. And then I'll be, if it crashes, I'll be like, well, I'm done. I'll go do something else now. Right. Because I don't want to sit there and wait five minutes <laughs> or however long for it to load up. Yeah. Um, so I really just want a game that'll just start up and then you can just get into it and then play. Mobile games are really good at that. Yeah. I really like Borderlands, of course, mm-hmm. um, because as you're sitting in the menu, it ha- just has a like it scrolls around your character, yeah, um, which is pretty cool. Um, but also has all the nice options and and you know you can explore and get down in the nitty gritty. Um, and Splatoon bugs the crap out of me because you have to wait through the the uh, whatever Pearl and Marina. Talking you don't like that? Yeah. That's well, like the best part. <laughs> Especially when Marina does a little scratch every wait, time. Wait, wait. Yeah, that's great. It I is great. <laughs> I wish I could choose when I watch it. Oh, okay. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I feel like I like games that have... Uh, oh, uh, I, Rogue Legacy is another really good one. Mm. Yeah. Where you can choose to go into the menu uh, and do all the, you know, fiddly bits right at the beginning or you can just go i want to start and then choose your person you're going to play yeah and like it just goes straight into it so yeah i think any game that the second time you play the first option on the menu is continue Mm -hmm. is great because then it gives you the option yeah to go in to keep futzing with it or just to you know get to oh yes the worst thing what what, there's a you linked in this the 10 commandments of video game menus oh yeah do not do not as a default, have new game as your first option because people will just, because they don't want to sit here and wait for the menu, they will just mash A. Nobody reads. Nobody no reads. one reads. So they'll just mash A and if, if the thing pops up and they'll be like, are you sure you want it? They will just keep mashing A and they'll start a new game and then they won't realize what happens until it's too late. 
Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Especially if it saves over. Like, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Just, yeah. 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 There's, you know, it's fine. I was watching, you know, Dale play Witcher for like a year. Uh-huh. Witcher. And, and <laughs> what it always did was it hit its loading. This was after you pressed, you know, mm-hmm. you started, continued. It hit its loading behind like a, a cutscene. And it was oh. the same cutscene. I think it changed like <gasps> yeah. four or five times for the mission, but you'd see it over and over and over again. It was meant to mask the loading screen. That seems really clever, but I would rather just a blank loading screen. Yeah. In those cases. Right. You know, because it's exhausting to, because it, it, then you memorize it yep. and you recite it to yourself yeah. and then it loses all semblance of, of, of its purpose and it becomes a self parody. That's true. Like, just it, you think you're clever, but it's not. That, that might be the only bad design choice that game made. It's like otherwise, people love the way that uh, a lot of that stuff works. Mm-hmm. Well, that reminds me of. Uh, well, this isn't a this isn't a first impressions thing. Mm-hmm. This is a after you've died sort of thing. Well, but there's the the horrible game. Uh, uh, what's it? Drake and the Ninety Nine Dragons. I can't remember the name of it. The game exactly, but it's like one of the worst games on Xbox. Yeah, I think it is probably the worst game on Xbox. But basically. <laughs> It's very difficult because the it, the controls are very uh, finicky and don't work very well and all this stuff. But like when you die, every single time you die, you have to it'll it'll go to a loading screen, and then after it loads up, it'll load you into this 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 space where these like spirit dragons or something are talking to you and they're berating you for being bad at the game or yeah. whatever. And you have to sit there and listen to that for 10 seconds. And then after the 10 seconds, it'll bring you back to a loading screen again. Yeah. And then you can play the game. Right. After all of that. I mean, this, this isn't a first, like I said, it's not a first impression thing, but like, that's terrible. Don't do that either. <laughs> it's um, just bad. I have an interesting sort of counter example okay. where one of the concepts I like is if a menu experience is really tied into not necessarily like the, like a diegetic fiction thing of the uh-huh. story you're in. Um, but it really feels of a part with the rest of the gameplay. Um, but the examples I have are where that's turned on its head. One is a Mass Effect, which um, its menus are very much feel like a console you would experience on the Citadel or something. Yeah, They're kind of bad. Like, I think all the games, all the Mass Effect games are kind of, their menus are clunky and weird. Mm-hmm. But it, I kind of don't mind. Like I think that it gets enough of that. It feels right. That after you play it two or three times, you know it, right? It doesn't do a lot of hu- it doesn't do too many of those major sins, and so even though it's like not ideal, because it fits so well with the sort of the story and the world, um, especially with the, the music is like feels like the same kind of music you'd hear if you were just standing in a corner waiting in the mm. in the world. Yeah. So it it feels very much of a piece, and so I think that does a pretty good job despite having made many many mistakes. And so I, that's just a, a an example that I I think is interesting because the counter to that is a lot of VR games talk about uh, or really want to have um, menu elements that are part of the world that you grab with your hands. And famously, uh, Job Simulator does this. And everybody thinks it's really charming. But I've demoed Job Simulator a lot of people. People have a really hard time understanding that. And I think that that's a game that is absolute perfect. And it even, and even follows a lot of like UX rules really well. Uh-huh. But it kind of fails, frankly. Uh-huh. And like... Every time I've tried to explain the exit burrito to people, they're like, I don't get it. What's the, they try to open the briefcase, doesn't quite open. And they're like, okay, now that I've opened the briefcase, there's a thing in there. Like, yeah. And like, it says exit on it. Like, oh yeah, I just recognized it as a burrito. I didn't realize there was a word on it. And what do I, eat it. I'm like, why? Like, and then they do, and then they don't see the really, the, the confirm. And it's, it's, and then they laugh. They think it's funny and they like it, but they actually had a bad experience using it. Mm. So very people, few people come away from that thinking it's bad. If you watch someone do that for the first time, even if they come away thinking it was really cute, they very likely had a bad experience. So that's kind of a mix. So I guess that's kind of my point there is like, it, it, there, are, you know, there aren't just a set of rules you follow. Yeah. Right? It seems like the more simple and straightforward you can be is the best. Yeah. Generally. Like yeah. The more you should try to be clever, the more you can kind of just ruin the experience accidentally. Yeah, which and that's Unless hard because you, you want to be clever. And, and sometimes cleverness pays off. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a challenge, for sure. Just get it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be that hard, right? We <laughs> <laughs> should put that on a banner. <laughs> that's the end of our show. So I guess we'll move on to our last topic, which is Martha doing the outro. What? Oh, <laughs> Okay. Well, I don't have the voice for it. <laughs> that's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app. And be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We really did. Bleh. 
how do you read this every week, Mark? We really do need to know you're out there. So leave a review and tell all your friends too. And leave us feedback on the feedback form, which is nicegames.club slash feedback. And you can also find us on Reddit on slash r slash game dev. We post the show notes there. Um, we also want to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. No, 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 no. I guess, yeah. I. <laughs> That's why I wanted to bring up this topic because you all can help me figure out what the heck yeah. I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, Steven is trying to trick us into a free therapy session. <laughs> it's all, it's all stems from my mom. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.